Someone described a fanatic as someone who redoubles their efforts after they have lost sight of their goals. This year, I want us to refocus on our goals because it seems to me that there is some confusion within the church as to what the church is to be. And the Bible tells us that the church is to be a place of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer, place of prayer. It is to be not only a place of prayer, but people committed to evangelism. Christ has given us the commission that we are to take the good news, the gospel, into all the world. And so we have the responsibility of sharing the gospel, the good news, with other people. And then we are to be a people who have a heart for missions. And it is my prayer, it is my desire, and I know that it is yours as well, that we take seriously the responsibility of sharing the gospel with the world because, ladies and gentlemen, our world will not be changed by diplomacy. Our world will not be changed by war. Our world can only be changed when Jesus Christ resides in the hearts and the lives of people. And then it's my desire that we also become a people who are generous in our giving, that we express our love for the Lord, our belief in the Lord, our commitment to the Lord through generosity in giving. So today I want us to look at the church. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 5. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon, it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as though through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Paul uses several different metaphors here to describe the church. The first he uses is that of a garden. And so he says then that the church is a garden. Now, what is the purpose of a garden? Well, it's to produce something. 
I have a neighbor every year. He and his wife uh, have a garden. I walk by and they're out there clearing that little spot of land and then I see them as they are planting seeds in there and then after a while there's a little vegetation that begins to appear and then as the time goes on they have some luscious vegetables in that garden. Now, honestly, as I walk past that with my dog and I see that, I think, you know, he probably would not miss just one tomato. Now, I've not done anything, but I have thought about it. But, you see, that's what a garden is supposed to be. A garden produces something, and he says that the church is a garden, and we are supposed to be then producing spiritual fruit. If we are the garden of God, we are to produce spiritual fruit, which is exactly what happened in the New Testament when the church was established. You recall in Acts chapter 1, there were 12 disciples, and then it went from there to 120 in the upper room. Then in Acts chapter 2, there were 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 4, it mentions 5,000 men, and then it begins to talk in terms of multitudes. What happened in that church? Well, the church was a garden, and it was producing spiritual fruit. So Paul says then, the church is a garden, and he says that we are God's fellow workers in that garden. Now, if you look down in verse number 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So he says then, the, the church is the garden of God, and you are laborers in his garden. And then he says something about those who labor in the garden. He says they have different gifts in verse number 6. I planted... Apollo's water. So Paul says then, we are workers in the garden of God. He said, I planted, Apollo's came along and he watered, but our gifts are different. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Sometimes we want everybody to be just like we are. How boring that would be. We have different gifts. We are not the same. I look out at Richard. He he is on the staff here in business. He knows far more about business than I do. That's his gift. I look at Steve. Steve leads us in music and so forth. He knows a, he knows a little more about that than I do. <laughs> I look at Jerry, and Jerry is leading us in discipleship, and Jerry knows. He knows far more about that. I don't know much about anything. To be honest, I don't want any amens at that point. But the point is, is that we are different. Our gifts are different. We are not the same. And that's what God intended for us to be who we are. So he says there are some who plant in that garden. Now, as you are aware, we have started some new churches, and those are church planters. Eric went over to Lake Carolina and planted a church there. And now that church is produced, and there are around 300 who worship there every Sunday. And then Brian has planted a church in Camden, and there I think are over 100 that are worshiping there now. He planted. And then Greg is over in Lexington, and he's planted a church over there. They're getting close to 100 in attendance in that church. But they are planters, so there are some who plant. There are some who water. 
I did not plant this church. I simply water what someone else has done. So there are those who plant and there are those who water. Our gifts are different, but we work together. You'll notice down there in verse number 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. So whether one plants or waters, whether one is on the finance committee or in the choir, whether one serves as an usher or teaches a Sunday school class, our gifts are different, but we are one. We work in the same garden, the garden of God. We serve the same Lord, the Lord Jesus. And we have the same purpose, and that is to bring people to him. So the scripture says that we are garden, we work in the garden, but it is God who gives the increase. Look at verse number 6b. He says, but God was causing the growth. Now you look down at verse number 7b, but God who causes the growth. All right, so the scripture says that it is God's garden, some plant in it, some water in it, but it is God who gives the growth. It is God who causes the increase. The word plant and water, or in the aorist tense, which means past action, increased is in the imperfect, which means continuous action. So what happens then is that we plant the seed, we pray for harvest, we wait for God to bring life, and then he is glorified. And that is what it's saying there in verse number 7. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So it is God's garden. We have the privilege of working in that garden. We are to produce in that garden, but it's to his glory because it's his garden. And then he says we are a building of discipleship in verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it, but let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Now, Paul saw himself, even though he was a planter, he saw himself as a builder of the kingdom of God. I read the story one time about a man who was touring a construction site, and he came to a man who was working. He was busy in there stirring this uh, mud and stuff. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm mixing this mud and water to make concrete. He went over to another man who was doing something similar to that. And he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a skyscraper. Now, folks, it's how you see things that's important. You see, when, when you sing, you're not just singing a song. You're building the kingdom of God. Do you see that? It's not just singing a song. It's building the kingdom of God. When you teach, you're not just teaching a lesson. You're building the kingdom of God. Paul saw himself as a builder, a builder of the kingdom, and he talks about the foundation in verse number 11. He said, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what is the foundation of the church, of this building? He says that we are a building. Now, what is the foundation? Well, it's the deity of Jesus. You remember when Christ was speaking to his disciples, and he asked the question, who do people say that I am? And one said, well, there are those who think that you're John the Baptist. Someone else said, I, I, there are those who think that you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he turned to Simon Peter, and he said, now, who do you think I am? And he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus said, upon this rock, this is the foundation, upon this rock I will build my church. Now, what was he speaking of when he mentioned this rock? Was he speaking about Peter? No. Was he speaking about the disciples? No. What was he speaking of when he was speaking about the foundation on which the church would be built? He was speaking about the confession of Peter concerning the deity of Jesus. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, and that's what I'm going to build the church on. His deity, the fact that he is God. The church is built upon the deity of Christ and upon the death of Christ. In chapter 2, verse number 2, Paul said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Folks, His death is foundational. He came to die. When He was wrestling and struggling there in the Garden of Gethsemane, facing the cross, He said, For this cause came I to this hour. He came to die to pay for our sins. What is the foundation of the church? It is the deity of Christ. It is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Without the resurrection, the deity and the death is meaningless. It's the resurrection. Now, that's the foundation. Okay, well, the foundation is laid. The foundation is Jesus. But what do we build on? Well, he talks about the building materials there in verse number 12. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, you'll notice there in verse number 10, he's, he talked about the material in verse number 12. Verse number 10, he says, now be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. And then he talks about the material. Jerry Vines, who was former pastor of First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, gives some insight concerning these materials. He says, first of all, he mentions these these imperishable or these permanent materials, gold. Vine says, gold represents the spiritual service which we accomplish in the power of the Holy Spirit. Steve referred to this just a moment ago. If there's anything in the church that is going to last, if there's any power within the church, it is going to be because it has been anointed by the Holy Spirit, the gold of the Spirit. From my vantage point, Sometimes I write a sermon, and I think, oh, that's a good sermon. Now, it's not as good as Bob McAllister might write, but it's a good sermon. I mean, the content is good, the organization is good, and so forth. And then there are other times I write a sermon, and then I'm studying that, and I look at it, and I think, that thing ain't going to fly. It's just not going to work. You know what I've learned? Folks, you do the best that you can, but if the Spirit of God does not touch it, it ain't going to fly anyway. It doesn't make any difference if it's good in content and in organization or not, because the life is in the Spirit. So he mentions gold, and then he says silver. Vine says silver represents the price of sacrifice. David said, I will not offer to the Lord that that costs me nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, if your service to the Lord is going to last, if it is going to have that permanent quality, then it is going always to involve sacrifice. It always involves sacrifice. So he said gold and silver and precious stones. And Bind says precious stones represent steadfast service, security, and stability. In other words, it speaks of dependability that, that you can be depended upon. Can you be depended upon? 
in your service to the Lord, in your service to His church, in the building of God. Can you be depended on? Can people depend on you? So first of all, he mentions those permanent materials, and then he mentions the perishable materials in verse number 12, wood, hay, and straw. Vincent made an interesting statement concerning that. None of them are to be regarded as anti-Christian. It is plainly implied that teachers may build upon the true foundation with perishable or worthless materials. Now this is the material of the three little pigs. He says wood, and wood represents careless service. Folks, there are some of us who take a position of responsibility, but we're very careless with it. We just don't give it the attention that we should, the preparation that we should. Hey, Vine says that represents worthless service, really not worth much, and then straw. When I was a boy, I went on the wheat harvest. And uh, if you've never gone on a wheat harvest, I recommend it. You ought to do it. It was right after that I felt God had called me to preach, but you ought to go on the wheat harvest. <laughs> the combine passes through the wheat field, and it strips the stalk of grain, and what is left over is straw. So then when he speaks about straw, it is leftovers, leftover service. It's when we give our leftover time to God. God, I've, I've got all these other things that I have to do, and I really don't have enough time to do that. But the little bit of time I have, I'll give to you that straw. It is whenever we give our leftover talents to the Lord. Lord, I, I, I've got all of these things that I'm doing, my family's doing, and so forth, but the leftovers I'll give to you. It, true also in finances. Lord, I have all these bills to pay, and if I have anything left after I pay these bills, then I'm going to get left over that straw. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about building with perishable things, those things that will not last. Thirdly, he says, we are a temple in verse number 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Now, th this, is, this is always so intriguing to me and so encouraging to me. Folks, the church is people. You are the temple of God. Did you know that? I mean, we got some temples that are sort of run down, but we are the temple of God. I heard Adrian Rogers preach a sermon one time, and he was um, talking about the dwelling places of God. And he said in the Old Testament, they built the tabernacle, and God moved in, but man sinned, and God moved out. And then they built the temple, and God moved in, but man sinned, and God moved out. But in the New Testament, God's temple is you, and God moved in, and we sin. But God is not going to move out because he came to clean up. You see, you are the temple of God. The Spirit of God indwells you. He lives in you, and he has come to clean up. So the Scripture says then that we are as stewards to protect the temple. We are the stewards of God. You are the temple of God. And we are to protect the temple. Sometimes we become more protective, and I even understand this, we become more protective of the church building 
than of the people where God dwells. Is that right? Maybe it's easier that way. I think that it is. Let's protect the building rather than the person. Well, the scripture says that God indwells you. Indwells you. And so the Bible says, then as stewards, we are to protect the temple of God. And I think Paul's primary concern was concerning division within the body. Because you'll notice in verse number 3, he says, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? See, what was happening within the Corinthian church is that the church, the body of Christ, had become divided, and there were those who said, well, I'm a follower of Paul. Others said, I'm a follower of of Apollos. Others said, I'm a follower of Peter. And, and then others said, I don't follow anybody except Jesus. And Paul says, what has happened is that you have divided the body. You have divided the body. Because we're all supposed to be followers of Jesus. And so he says there in verse number 17, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. If God indwells his people, he is saying then as stewards, it is our responsibility to protect the temple. Look at those people next to you. Are you protecting them with your prayers? Are you? Are you lifting them up to the Lord and saying, God, I know that you dwell in Mark and I'm praying for him. I know that you indwell Stephen and I'm praying for him. See, that's what we're to do. As stewards, we are to protect the temple, which is the people of God. And then he says we will one day face a judgment from God. In verse number 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Now he's not talking about salvation here. Not talking about us being judged for salvation. Some people think one day I'm going to stand before God and then he will judge me as to whether or not I'm worthy of going to heaven or not. No, it's not speaking about that. You see, for salvation we judge ourselves. I judge myself as, as unworthy and, and uh, guilty and threw myself on the mercy of the court. Isn't that salvation? Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. So I threw myself on the mercy of God. What he's talking about here is not judge, being judged for salvation, but judged for service. And he says we will be judged for service. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may re receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So the Bible says that if you are a believer, you put your faith in Christ, you have judged yourself guilty and have applied for God's mercy and grace. But then as a believer, one day I'm going to give an account for my service to the Lord. Now, how will our service be judged? What will be the verdict? Well, he says that permanent works will be rewarded. So you look there in verse number 14. If any man's work which he has built upon, it remains, he shall receive a reward. Now, he says that you will be judged in verse number 8. He says you will be judged for your labor. And you will be judged according to what God has given to you. You know the story of the parables. 
One was given five, pair, uh, five talents, one was given two, one was given one. The one who was given five talents was judged for five. The one who was given two talents was judged for two. The one who was given one talent was judged for one. I say that to say this to you. Folks, whatever it is that God has given to you, you are responsible for. You're going to give an account for. To whom much is given, much is required. So he is talking here about our permanent works being rewarded. As you serve the Lord with what you have been given, then you will be rewarded. He says in verse number 9, for we are God's fellow workers. I believe that we will also be judged by our cooperation, our working together with each other and with the Spirit of God. But he says temporary works will be rejected in verse number 15. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, this, this person here that is spoken of is a saved person, someone who knows the Lord. Okay? But they have built upon the foundation with perishable material. He says that this person is saved, they shall be saved so as by fire. He says this person is saved. But they have built with perishable material. So they will be saved, but they will stand before the Lord shamed. That's what the scripture says in 1 John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. It's speaking about if we build as believers on the foundation of Christ with permanent material, we will be rewarded. If we build as believers on the foundation of Christ with perishable materials, we will be shamed. We will stand before him shamed. So let me conclude. We are his garden. The church is his garden. We are to produce spiritual fruit. We are his building. We are to, be, to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ with permanent material. We are his temple. We are stewards of the temple. You are to protect the temple, and one day we will be judged. We will give an account. Someone sent me this poem that spoke to my heart, and I hope it does yours this week. The author is unknown. But to me, it is a picture of the church. I saw Jesus last week. He was wearing blue jeans and an old shirt. He was up at the church building. He was alone and working hard. For just a minute, he looked a little like one of our members. But it was Jesus. I could tell by his smile. I saw Jesus last Sunday. He was teaching a Bible class. He didn't talk real loud or use long words. But you could tell he believed what he said. For just a minute, he looked like my Sunday school teacher. But it was Jesus. I could tell by his loving voice. I saw Jesus yesterday. He was at the hospital visiting a friend who was sick. They prayed together quietly, 
For just a minute, he looked like Brother Jones, but it was Jesus, I could tell by the tears in his eyes. I saw Jesus this morning. He was in my kitchen, making my breakfast and fixing me a special lunch. For just a minute, he looked like my mom, but it was Jesus. I could feel the love from his heart. I see Jesus everywhere, taking food to the sick, welcoming others to his home, being friendly to a newcomer, and for just a minute, I think he's someone I know, but it's always Jesus. I can tell by the way he serves. Folks, do you realize that for some people, they have to see Jesus in you or they don't see Jesus. Do people see Jesus in you? Do they hear Jesus speak when you speak? Do they see Jesus in you? That's what the church is. The church is his body on this earth. Gracious Father and God, when people see us, may they see Jesus. May we be an accurate reflection of you. Father, we've come to a time of invitation where people respond to you, to your love, to your grace, to your call. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for those who are without Christ, that today they might be saved. Lord, I pray for those who need a church home, that they would feel comfortable here. The Lord bless this invitation time, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.